0: Thank you for being here today. It would be a whole lot different if you weren't here today. It would be like any other day in the office when I sit in here and just uh, stare at Jerome. And so, um, you know, I, I am glad you're here. And I'm excited to get into, uh, into God's Word and studying it together today. And, um, you know, it, it's funny. I, I've had people ask me and say, well, when, when there's not a lot of people there, does it, does it dishearten you? Does it get you down? And I, I've said, you know, it really doesn't. Because uh, when, when you're here, God wants you here for a reason. And if there's just one person here, it, it's, to me, it's worth sharing the message that God has brought to the person that is here. Now, I'm hoping everybody else is giving online if there's only one person here. But the, the, the idea of us coming together and sharing together and worshiping together and that we are hungry for him, it, it changes everything. And as I say, this changes everything. We've been going since Easter on this this idea of this changes everything. We said the Easter, the, the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus, it changed history. It changed the course of events that were going to take place from there on out for the rest of time. It, it changed the, the approach that people have. It changed the hearts that people have. It changed just the, the, the idea, even towards things like adoption, even things like, like um, hospitals, all that kind of stuff came together because Christians in the early century started to build those things up. And we see that take place in in changing of everything. But while it changed everything out there, it also changed everything in here. We talked about how it changed our past. how we can drop that baggage because of his grace. He talked about how it changes our present, how we don't need to focus on the past or focus on the future, but we can focus on today and focus right now. He talked about how it changes our future and it changes our what ifs. And the what ifs that, that will drag us down and suffocate us. And it also talked about how it changed our eternity and that's the most important thing. Now, we were going through that, and I, I came to the point where I said, okay, do we want to continue on that and talk about that more? Do we want to wrap that up and start a new series that will lead into our, July seri- or, sorry, our June series, which is our At the Movies, where we talk about the, the different movies that are out there um, and the messages that are found in them and look through throughout the summer with that, and I said, I just don't know what to do for May. So I started kind of playing with some ideas and and the first thing I came up with was uh, maybe we'll talk about emoticons, those emojis that are on your phone. And I thought, you know, we'll do four weeks of of different things. First we'll talk about anger. We'll talk about the anger that we have inside and next we'll talk about shock and how shocked we are about the world and all the things that are out there. And then we'll talk about uh, grinning and bearing it because sometimes that's just what you have to do. And then I was going to talk about chocolate custard and how life is just a bowl of chocolate custard sometimes. And, And I thought, you know, we could do that, but we, we kind of did that already with Inside Out last year when we looked at the movies and we talked about anger and disgust and sadness and, and joy and, and fear. And I said, okay, so, so we won't tackle that. What can we do? And I started looking and I said, well, you know, Mother's Day is next week and we're going to take time. We're going to honor the moms and those who, who are moms in our lives, whether they're biological or not. And uh, the next week after that is graduation recognition. We're going to take time to recognize graduates and what the future holds with that. I said, so maybe we should, we should do something along those lines and just have some standalones. And I said, well, today's standalone is, is that to, um, 18 years ago today, I got to marry my bride. And uh, yes, so I was uh, quite excited about that. And um, uh, in, in uh, that, I said, you know, I can do a message on that as well. I could talk about uh, all different sorts of things. And, and I started looking at it and started going, you know, uh, with this uh, wedding anniversary, um, what could I talk about? You might be thinking, okay, love or, or marriage or relationships or or uh, how, to, how to get to 18 or whatever it might be. And this is the topic that I came up with, um, death by distraction. And, and Christy said, she said, "What? Are you seriously going to talk about this?" I said, well, just give me a minute, okay? Because I want to explain it and how it how it comes together and what it actually means. See, I love my wife very much. I love her more than anything else on this planet, and uh, I, I am blessed to have her in my life. I am blessed to have her have her be my bride, to be next to me, to be the mother of my children, to to walk through. All the ups and all the downs of life. And and as I look at that, I I think about even when we very first started dating, I I came to the realization I've actually known her for more of my life than I haven't. She's actually been dating me for more of her life than she hasn't. And, you know, it it always kind of got to that point where you're at that tipping point. Because, see, on, on September 21st, 1996, we went on our first official date. And we went up, uh, I loaded up in the car, and we drove from Phoenix up to Prescott Valley, which is about an hour, hour and a half drive, which is a little creepy, and I'm not letting any guy take my daughter on her first date for an hour and a half drive. But uh, we went up to uh, Oliva's Mexican food restaurant up in Prescott Valley, and then um, you might be thinking, man, that's impressive that you know the first day, the, first, the day of the date, of the day you had your, your first, uh, first date. And uh, I would like to say that I'm a romanticist and and that I'm just awesome like that, but I'll tell you how I remember, okay? Um, What's that? She did not tell me. Actually, I had to remind her. It was a football game. Um, (laughs) She fell asleep on the way home, and I was listening to the radio, and uh, Arizona State was playing at that time, number one Nebraska, and shut them out 19 to nothing with Jake the Snake Plumber at the quarterback. That year, they went on to the Rose Bowl to play against Ohio State. And uh, I remember that because I was driving the car, and I'm like, yes. And she was asleep, and I had to cheer, cheer softly, but I was cheering still the same way. So that's how I remember. And there's other dates that I remember because of sports. Um, you guys have probably heard the story because just a, a little over a year later, we were at a Coyotes game, and uh, up on the big screen it said, Christy, I love you. Will you marry me? Love, Gary. And um, um, it, was, uh, it was supposed to say Matt, and I handed her a ring, and we got engaged on that day. And uh, um, they messed up. It's all good. And in a year, a little less than a year later than that, May 1st of 1998, uh, we got to say I do. And, you know, if if there's anything that I could say, you know, a a lot of things have changed since then. A lot of things have changed in our relationship. A lot of things have changed in our lives. A lot of things have changed as we move forward. Uh, and, And you know it's funny, I look back and I think about the vows that we said, and they're pretty common typical vows that, that most people say. You have the the, the richer for poorer, then sickness and health, the for better for worse. And I think to myself, you know depending upon your definition of richer, we've gone through all of those you know and and, and we we've lived it. We've had the roller coaster of up and the roller coaster of down and and, and the roller coaster of all sideways and, and the spins and, and everything else, and because of God, we are here still today. And I think about it, I think if there's one thing that I could really hold on to and all the things that, if, if I could share with anybody, is that we have grown closer together. And there are times that we're very close, and I know that the times that we're very close, the times that we're spending time together, and the times that we're, we're connecting and we're on a level where we're, we're reading together or we're praying together or we're, we're spending time as a family together, as individuals together, those things play themselves out to, to draw us closer together, but I also know in our relationship, there are times when we're not praying together and we're not reading together and we're not spending time together, and we're really like train tracks, where, where they are constantly going the same direction, but they're never intersecting. And I know that's happened in my life, and I know that's happened in our life, and, and I think about that in probably in your life as well, in those relationships in the relationships, that there are times that we are growing closer together with those that we love, with those that that we just know, whether that be a friendship relationship or a love relationship or whatever it might be, there's times that we are intersecting. And there's other times we're just going along. We're doing our own thing. We're doing our own thing. We're heading in the same direction, but we're never intersecting. And I think about that, and as I look at that, that, that lack of intersection actually causes us to get further apart. And in that causing to, to get further apart, it, it strains the relationship. There's been more than one time that Christy says, I, I feel disconnected from you. And she's right. We are disconnected. We're not connected in the way that God would have us be in the intersection, in us being together and growing closer together. And in that, if that conversation doesn't take place, well, that starts to fade apart. And the next thing you know, your, your relationship is dissipated. Your relationship may even die. And you might think, okay, why death by distraction? this is it death by distraction this is where it plays out us not taking time to be together because we're distracted by all the other things that kind of matter but don't really matter cause death by distraction death to a relationship and i think about that in in what we do in our own lives but i also think about what we do in our relationship with jesus and that is what I believe we talked about over the last four weeks. If anything, this is a wrap-up of the last four weeks, maybe even the last five, if you include Easter. And I look at it, and I think to myself, you know, he changed our past. He changed our present. He changes our future, and he changes our eternity. And we're, we're in that process, hopefully understanding his grace and mercy that's poured out here, and the fact that we can focus on him here, and we understand the what-ifs are only going to get in the way, and the eternity's been changed, that we Trust in him, that we rest in him, that we are growing closer to him, and the thing is is that we talked about this verse John ten ten throughout that that, that theme that went throughout all these verses that, or all these passages that we talked about. And it was the fact that he says, "The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus, he came to give us life and life more abundantly, life more full, and in our relationship. How often do we see ourselves growing closer to him to have that full life? Or is that thief killing and stealing and destroying by distraction? Is he pulling us away? Because I truly believe that our purpose here is to grow closer to God. Our purpose as a church is to help each other grow closer to God. Whether you are far from God and you don't know him at all, or you are as close as you think you could ever be, you can always be closer. And it's our job to help with that. It's the, the discipleship process. It's that evangelism process. It's the process of praying for one another. It's the process of connecting with each other. That is why we do what we do. And as we see that play out, something just kept popping in my head over and over and over again. Two words. You know, I know Ryan shared, but God, I got two other words for you. It's draw near. That kept popping in my head. Even as I was even looking at the emoticon thing and kind of joking about doing those and and having some of those. How do we get through anger? How do we get through fear? How do we get through chocolate custard? How do we get through that in life? And you look at that and you say, well, if we draw near to God, it changes our perspective on everything. It changes how we react. It changes how others react to us. And it kept popping up in my head, and I see that, and I see this idea in James chapter 4. And in James chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you, please open up to it if you would. And if you don't, you have your phones. We have it on the you version there for you. Uh, somebody actually told me this week, they're like, you know, it's crazy that, that you give the you version because I love being able to do it, but I watch the clock on the top and it distracts me. I'm like, well, we're talking about death by distraction. So pull out your phones and, uh, and get on there and follow along on you version with us. If you don't, it's up here. James chapter 4, starting in verse 7, it goes into the fact of drawing near to God. Check out what it says. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. See, this passage just sat on me all this week. The idea of drawing near to God and he will draw near to you. That's that's every relationship. We draw near, they draw near, and there's this amazing connection that's taking place. And then he says, don't be double-minded. Well, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the fact with a couple of weeks ago that we said, don't be focused here and here. Be single focused on Christ. Draw near to him. And when we're not focused on that, well, guess what we are? We're distracted. And that's truly, truly what Satan wants. He wants us to be distracted. He doesn't want us to draw near to Christ. He wants to put excuses in our way. He wants to put things in there that are going to cause us problems. As a matter of fact, as you continue to look at draw near, the book of Hebrews has it mentioned many, many times. And the first one is it's actually found in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. He says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to draw near to Christ. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God, through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure with water. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. See, drawing near just keeps popping up. It just keeps popping up in our lives. It keeps popping up in our hearts. Draw near to God. Draw near to our relationships. Draw near, but we get Distracted. That is how we get closer to him, though, is by drawing near. As a matter of fact, Psalm 73 says, draw near to God, and it'll be good for you to, to find refuge in him. We need to draw near. But how often would we say that is our testimony? If somebody were to ask you this week, this past week, today, they said, hey, I just want to hear how your week went. And you said, you know what, I just want to let you know that I was really drawing near to God. That is, that is my heart right now. I don't know if anybody in here is going to raise their hand on that one. Because guess what? That's not it. I can't say that I was drawing near to God. I was the one putting this message together. and I still can say that I wasn't the one drawing near to God because you know what happens? Life. As much as Monday wants to happen, I have a but that always follows it. I want to this week, God, draw near to you. But. And you know what follows that but? Distractions. Distractions. You can make a list of distractions in your life. It starts off with probably the person you're supposed to be drawn near to within your house, your family and your kids, your wife and your kids, your husband and your kids. That is the first distraction that you deal with, and then it just goes on from there. Well, guess what that distraction is? It's what the thief wants to use to steal and to kill and destroy. It is what is out there. As I studied this idea of distraction. A parable that I'd heard, and you've probably heard many times, came to mind. And it's a parable that might be a little bit different uh, in the way that we approach it today than what you're used to, but it's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, and it starts in chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And it's Jesus teaching in parables, and, and as he's teaching, he's teaching to a crowd. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like you to flip over to that, and I, I want you to see it, and you're probably going to see it immediately if you've been in church for any amount of time. You've probably heard this preached or prot, I don't know, you teach and you taught, so I don't know, preached, um, uh, but you've you probably heard it and, and it's come across in, in a way that, that you already know. I want you to kind of shake that a little bit because I want to look at it maybe from a little different angle. It's Matthew chapter 13 verse 1. This is what it says, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, when I see the words that same day, that means something else has happened prior to it and something was talked about prior to it. So if you go back to chapter 12, at the end of chapter 12, it it actually talks about Jesus teaching. And as Jesus is teaching, his mother and his brothers are waiting outside. The guy comes and says, hey, your mom mom and brothers are outside waiting for you. And he says, whoa, hang on. Who are my mothers and brothers? He says, these guys who are in here, this is my mothers and my brothers. These are the ones. I am focused on the mission that I've been given right at this moment. I can't be distracted, not even by family. And he starts off with that, and this is what happens next. He's out sitting by the sea, which would be awesome. just to walk outside the house and go sit by the sea. And he's sitting there, and guess what happens? A large crowd gathers around, verse 2. And great crowds gathered about him. So they got into a boat, and he sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying this. A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds that fell along the path. And the birds came, and they devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rock and on the rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, we've heard this parable probably before. If you've ever been in church before, you've probably heard this. And when you hear that, you think, okay, here's four different people. I want to be the fourth. I want to be the good soil. And maybe I could take time and I could explain it to you, but you know what? Jesus already did it. He did it in verse 18. So skip down to verse 18 and let's follow along and see what Jesus actually says, what he's trying to tell us here. Says here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy. Yet has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another 30. See, we often look at this passage and we see these four different types of people. These four different types of people uh, are, are the different types of soil. The one thing that remains the same in this is the sower sowing the seed, and that seed is good seed. And we see that seed going out, and it's where it lands and how it is interpreted and how it's taken into the heart. That's how we often see it. But I want to change your view just a little bit on this today. Instead of seeing four different people, maybe see yourself in four different situations, even within the same day, even in the same week and see the seeds of opportunity that we have, and maybe these different situations or different distractions that keep us from getting it, and it kills opportunity. It kills the opportunity to be able to take that look. So what I want to understand or want you to see is how we are distracted people. And if Jesus is talking about these distractions here, taking us away from opportunities to do things like minister in our lives, So go back up to verse 3 and 4 as we look at it from a different viewpoint. It says this, And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Now that word devoured right there is a powerful word, and I want to look at these different situations and focus on maybe just one word that causes problems here. He uses the word devoured. Devoured means to eat hastily. Have you ever been sitting at a table somebody somebody's just absolutely devouring their food and just looking at them going, are you kidding me right now? And I can't, I'm not looking at you. Okay, I promise. Not at Sam's Club when you fold your pizza in half and it's, you know, gone. Uh, but the, the idea of devouring kind of puts this picture in our head and Jesus says, these seeds that fell along the ground are devoured. The birds come down and they just devour them. But I want you to even see in that, I like a better word that he even used in his explanation. In verse 19, when it says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path, snatched. Snatched. The opportunity was taken. The opportunity was taken. How many times in our lives Do we have seed that hits our lives? An opportunity that hits our lives and we're so distracted before we even have a chance to get to it, it never takes root and it's snatched away by the evil one. How quickly is it snatched away and taken away and devoured that we never even get a chance to see what is to come, what that seed could have been in our lives? How many times have we gone to church and heard a message? How many times have we read in our devotionals in the morning? How many times have we had a seed that has hit us and before we can even get the thought written down on a piece of paper, it's gone and we're thinking about what's for lunch? How many times? Or whatever it is that might be happening that next day. You know, I got to thinking about it last night. that There's more times in my life, and the older I get, it happens more times, that I'll have this great idea for whatever it might be. And I'm like, we should totally do that. But before I ever get to the point where I go, that's a great idea. We should totally do that. Somewhere here in the middle, poof, it's gone. Yeah, it is called holy. That's exactly what it is. The funny thing is, it's the older I get, there's no more in the middle. It's, I want to write it down on a piece of paper or type it into my phone just to hold on to it. And as I start to type it into my phone, autocorrect pops up some sort of word that throws me off and boom, it's gone. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. You know, Where was I? And then all of a sudden it's gone. And I'm like, that was such a good idea though. I don't remember what it was, but it was great. It was a seed that never made it into the into the ground, and in the distraction, poof, it was gone. I have no idea what it could have been, and that's a big thing. Well, think about the little seeds over the last week that you've had. How many opportunities have you had where God has sown seeds that you had an opportunity to bless somebody, that you had the opportunity to help somebody, that you had the opportunity to share with somebody the good news of Jesus Christ, that you had the opportunity just to be Jesus to somebody else, and you being distracted, me being distracted missed that opportunity. And when we miss that opportunity, guess what happens? We never get to see what that seed could have done. Had we been able to bless them, had we been able to invest in them, had we been able to have that conversation with them, what could have changed in their life, in our life, How could it have been? We don't know. That's the problem with this seed, this being snatched away. How often are dinner times snatched away because of things that we think are more important? How many times are relationships snatched away because of things we think that are more important, but they're really not? You know, it's interesting that God uses the idea of birds of the air, birds of the air that snatch these seeds. Do we have any modern birds of the air nowadays that might just snatch seeds away from us? Maybe one that looks like that. The idea of of social media snatching away our opportunities because we need to be scrolling on our phone with whatever or looking to see what everybody else is doing instead of being present, what we've already talked about over the last few weeks. How many times are opportunities snatched from us before they even have a chance to get planted? How many times do they get taken from us? We cannot let those opportunities get snatched away because we will miss the harvest if we do. That's the first one. Check out the next one. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And they, since they had no root, they withered away. That second distraction, that second opportunity that is stolen from us is the scorched. The, 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 the idea that, that we have something that we think is life, but it's not. The idea that we think is a priority, but it's not. The idea that has an appearance of productivity, but it doesn't produce anything. How much do we invest in of the things that have no roots? How many times do we go about? See, our root is our commitment. Our root is our commitment. Our root are what we're tied to, what we're anchored to, uh, what we're really passionate about. But how many things are fleeting in our society that we get passionate about for a moment? I mean, just watch the news. They get really passionate about some subject just for a short time, and then on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. How many times do we do that in our own lives and let those things, poof, gone? And they get scorched. Think about it this way. Four months ago, today's May 1st. Four months ago would have been January 1st. How many people made resolutions? To say, hey, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And now, the great majority of those people are not doing any of those things. The reason for it, there's no roots. They're passionate about it for a moment. They they had excitement about it for a moment, but it never found roots. And I'll tell you something that's true also with the Word of God. It's true with the Word of God. It's true about the church we get excited about, I have to go, I have to read, and then distraction happens, and it never takes root. It never builds itself into us. You know, it's funny, um, I'll use this as an example. I'm, dr- I'm driving by the baseball fields, and every, every week I've driven by the baseball fields for the past, what, month and a half, two months, and it's, it's packed at six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning. And yet there's people that are not sitting here right now because it was cold outside. Even though we meet inside, it's cold outside. And I'm not picking on them, and I'm not saying anybody who's not here, you should call them and be like, really, because it's cold outside? I don't want you. To... I mean, you can if you want to. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is that that God over there, I like baseball, and I like it a lot. But when I was a kid, my parents said, you will not miss church for a baseball game. That's not the case anymore. That doesn't happen anymore. And, and you know, that's why we have a Saturday night service, to give them the opportunity. But it's crazy that we look 5, 10, 15 years down the road, and we see these kids who have walked away from church, and the parents go, I don't know what happened. I took them to church every Easter. There's something wrong with that. It never took root. It never happened. And when trials and tribulations come along, what's it say? It gets scorched, and it withers away. We have to be very careful with that. And we have to be careful about the distractions that can pull us away from that. And I'm not lessening anything. I'm just telling you, there's like a, a 100% chance your kid's not going pro, so you don't have to invest that much into it. But, but the, the, the thing, and if he does, great, just make sure he ties. But the, the thing is, is that, that we get so wrapped up in the temporary, we miss the eternal. We're distracted from it. Is that not what Satan wants? To steal, kill, and destroy? Third distraction, found in verse 7, the other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and it choked them. There's our word, choked, choked. How many distractions, how many situations do we get ourselves into that choke us out? We talked about worry in the the future two weeks ago, and as we talked about worry in the future, we see the what-ifs of life. Do they not choke us out? Look what it actually says in verse 22, and Jesus explains it. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world. The NIV says the worries of the world. And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. We know what we want, but all the worries of the world I have to have, and the deceitfulness of riches. Check out what the message version says. But the weeds of worry and the illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. Isn't that what Satan wants? Doesn't he want nothing to come of our lives? Doesn't he want all the worries and all the what ifs and all of the things? See, it's not the responsibilities. We have responsibilities. Jesus wants us to follow through on our responsibilities, but it's the worries. We've talked about the what ifs, like I said, and it plays right into it. We're not distracted by the things that we actually have to do. We're distracted by the things that we assume or we interpret that we might have to do. And we throw in that might and and what if. And it changes our viewpoint on life. That is what the devil wants. He really doesn't have to do anything but mess with your mind just a little bit. Then we start worrying about the what ifs, and in the what ifs, it turns into choking out what God actually has planned for us. And in that process, it whittles its way down, and the downward spiral takes place, and we start feeling this way. And you know, Christian and I have this discussion uh, uh, often. How often are our feelings true? Because we can feel one way in that conditional response. We feel that way because of something else that's happened. How often is it actually true? And we have to base our feelings on the truth. The truth is of God's word. But if we're choking that out, that loses it, doesn't it? It loses our direction. It loses where we're supposed to be heading. And we see this problem. Then, of course, the next part of that same verse, it talks about the deceitfulness of riches. When we see the deceitfulness of riches, the funny thing that first pops into my mind is, yeah, those Donald Trumps, they are lost because of, or whatever it might be. But guess what? It's not the ultra-rich that that this is affecting as much as it is those who want to be ultra-rich. Those who want and can't have, so they give up the things that matter, so they can try and get the things that they think are going to satisfy, but only satisfy temporarily, going back to scorched. And we see it play itself out, and we see this idea of getting more, and it doesn't matter. It's like it says in the, in the message version. It's just an illusion. What's real? What is real? What is the truth? That distraction is there. Now, I said there's four distractions we're going to talk about, and you're like, okay, well, you've gone through the three soils. The fourth soil is a good soil, so how could that be a distraction? What I want you to do is go down just a, a few more verses, because Jesus tells another parable that ties right into it, and it's found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. So he put another parable for them saying this, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed. Once again, the seed is good. The word of God is good. If I can hear an amen for that, that'd be fine. All right, thank you. The word of God is good and it's in being spread in the field. But while his men were sleeping, how often in our lives do we just go through the motions and we're sleeping? We're getting there, but we don't even know how we got there. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came, and sowed weeds among the wheat, and then went away. See, good seed is being spread. What's the problem in this passage? Weeds, the weeds. And if you continue to read on, they say, "Well, should we go out and pull the weeds?" And he's like, "You're not going to be able to tell the difference between the weeds and the and the wheat until the end." When it comes to the end, we'll figure all that stuff out. When we get into sleep mode, when we're just kind of coasting along, the devil's going to come in and he's going to put weeds in our life that we think are important, but they're not. And that's where the word sabotaged comes in. Sabotaged. The saboteur. The thief. I know it's it's a fun word. Uh, But the the idea, he's coming in to destroy and distract us from what God has for us. See, God has planted some amazing seeds in your life. God has a plan. God has a destiny for you. And Satan wants to distract you from that. So he's going to put weeds in there and you're going to go, oh, I just can't because I'm just not good enough. I'm just not. I'm just not. And we start feeling this way once again and we lose the truth that God says, I have a plan for you. Not to harm you, but to prosper you, to take you. I have a future, and I want to glorify myself in you. I want to use you to share my son with the rest of the world. And sometimes we let those weeds get in the way, and it sabotages the plants that we have. We can't miss out on what God has for us. We can't walk through life sleeping. We can't be distracted. That's where Matthew 13, 23 comes in. As for what was sown on good soil? This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, in another case 30. How? How? How do we be the good soil? How do we take that into our lives? Well, it goes back to the first verses that we read in the book of James. Chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. If you're a highlighter in your book or Highlighter on your phone. Submit is the word I want you to highlight. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Next word I want you to highlight resist. Resist the devil, don't fall into the the temptation or the distraction or the sabotage that takes place and he will flee from you. Draw near, I want you to highlight. Draw near to God. If you're focused on him, you're not gonna be focused on everything else and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Last word I want you to underline or highlight, humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So if we go through those steps, we can understand how to be that good soil, to not be distracted, to not have our things be snatched up because we're too busy, to not have them be scorched because we're never letting them get deep, not to let them be sabotaged because we're asleep at the wheel, and definitely, definitely not letting them just just be run over by all the things that could choke us out. That is my call to you. That is my challenge to you. It really is that simple to say it's just not that simple to do. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray for you and I want to pray for me that we can have the strength and the power in Jesus Christ to make this happen, that we can submit ourselves to God, that we can resist the devil, that we can draw near to him, and that we can humble ourselves. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for your word that you've placed in our lives. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to just to look at it, and be able to study it, and be able to to really, truly let it sink in. I pray that today this seed spreads. And it spreads deep with roots into our lives. That, God, it won't be something we'll get really, really excited about to leave today, and then before we get into our car in the parking lot, all we're thinking about is what we have to do for the rest of the day or the rest of the week, and we miss it. God, don't let us miss it. Help us to draw near to you submit ourselves to you to resist the devil and his temptations that are going to choke out the things that you have for us that are going to sabotage the things that you have for us that are going to snatch away the opportunities that we might have to invest in somebody this week gotta let it dig deep into our lives i'm so excited to see those who got baptized this week And as they let those seeds sink in, God, don't let the devil get a hold of anything that might be going on in their lives. Use that to glorify yourself. Lift up your name, because that is why we are here, to grow closer to you and say, look what God is doing. God, I pray that happens this morning. pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here to the front, and I would love to pray with you. I'd love to just have an opportunity to, to, to come alongside you. You don't have to look around and say, well, I I can't pray with you because then everybody's going to know I got something wrong. Let me just be very honest with you. Everybody knows you got something wrong because they have something wrong too. None of us are perfect. None of us in here going, hey, you know what? My life is awesome, perfect, no problems whatsoever. There's good and there's bad, but there's not perfect because Jesus is perfect and that's what he's working on us for for the end. So at this point in time, maybe you're struggling with something. Come and pray with me. If somebody's already with me, Do me a favor. Pray with the person that's next to you. Because guess what? They're going to pray for you. You're going to pray for them. That's what church community is about. That's what takes us to that next level. That's what helps us to submit, to draw near, to resist, and to humble ourselves. So I'll be down here in the front. I'd love to pray with you. But if you uh, want to pray with the person next to you, that's fine as well. right.